I still recall from the books I read All the great empires built in my head But every year I raise one more I poured it out at a wardrobe door But I, I'm still seeking time Welcome to another barnstorming episode of Seeking Tumnus, the podcast where we unearth the young adult relics of our youth. On alternate episodes, we put our minds in peril by testing contemporary releases of the same ilk. My name is Laurie, and I'm joined by my fellow roasts, the sweaty, the scenty, Keith Rowe. Good evening. The damp, the clammy, Bree. Good morning, just in case it's morning where you are. (laughs) And the hot and bothersome Patrick Moon. Hi, but not as bothersome as Corinne on The Bachelor, right, guys? What is Nick thinking? <laughs> I'll get back to you in a few days. What? <laughs> Bachelor talk. <Yeah. laughs> Wrong pod. Is this on our channel? Is this on our television? Uh, yes, it is. Huh. It's Amer- American US Bachelor. How am I not aware of this and why am I not taping it? You haven't been subscribing to Pat's Lamecast. <laughs> it's, it's on uh, catch-up. You can watch it right now. What is Nick thinking? <laughs> <laughs> this episode, we're knee-deep in the dead, reading Sabriel, or Sabriel, if you prefer, published in 1995 and written by Australian author Garth Nix, who doesn't mind which way you say it. Before we go on, a brief spoiler warning. Patrick? Hells bells, listeners, let's nix any frustration with a warning. Here there be spoilers <laughs> for Sabriel. Read the book because we're clambering through all nine gates tonight. That's all. Listen to page one with Laurie. It was a little more than three miles from the wall into the old kingdom, but that was enough. Noonday sunshine could be seen on the other side of the wall in Ancel's d'Air and not a cloud in sight. Here there was a clouded sunset and a steady rain had just begun to fall, coming faster than the tents could be raised. The midwife shrugged her cloak higher up against her neck and bent over the woman again, raindrops spilling from her nose onto the upturned face below. The midwife's breath blew out in a cloud of white, but there was no answering billow of air from her patient. The midwife sighed and slowly straightened up, that single movement telling the watchers everything that they needed to know. The woman who had staggered into their forest camp was dead, only holding on to life long enough to pass it on to the baby at her side. But even as the midwife picked up the pathetically small form beside the dead woman, it shuddered within its wrappings and was still. The child too asked one of the watchers, a man who wore the mark of the charter fresh drawn in wood ash upon his brow, then there shall be no need of a baptism. His hand went up to brush the mark from his forehead, then suddenly stopped as a pale, white hand gripped it and forced it down in swift motion. Peace, said a calm voice. I wish you no harm. The white hand released its grip and the speaker stepped into the ring of firelight. The others watched him without welcome, and the hands that had half-sketched charter marks or gone to bowstrings and hilts did not relax. The man strode forward towards the bodies and looked upon them. Then he turned to face the watchers, pushing his hood back to reveal the face of someone who had taken paths far from sunlight, for his skin was deathly white. I am called Arbosen, he said. Do you mean Abhorsen? Uh, Maybe. 
What did I say? I think Arbison who uh, trims the hedges. <laughs> I am called Abhorson, he said, and his words sent ripples through the people around him, as if he had cast a large and weighty stone into a pool of stagnant water. And there will be a baptism tonight. Patrick, that's page one and a bit. What did you think? It gave me a little bit of pause, actually, because you know I love a bit of fantasy. I'm a fantasy stalwart, some might say. <laughs> but I, I thought this was a little bit clunky. I, I liked the setup. I liked the sort of potential for the fantasy goodness to start leaking through. But there are a few weird things, like being grabbed by someone who must be within arm's reach of you, who then steps into the circle of firelight and starts addressing you. Like, it just seems a little bit not quite right. Like, you're just imagining the scene. You're like, this doesn't work. So it has the the makings of the fantasy goodness that I've come to enjoy, but I was concerned that maybe this would be an old sack of rubbish. Bree. <laughs> an old sack of rubbish. Interesting. Well... We might edit this so that the page one reading appears flawless, but I think, Laurie, I mean, you were stumbling over passages as you read it, and I think that is partly that clunkiness, which perhaps Pat's referring to as well. It just didn't seem to flow for me. I had to read this first bit a couple of times because there were all of these strange concepts being introduced, which are fantasy stalwart friendly but perhaps not easy (laughs) not easy for the average non-fantasy reader to get their head around we don't just let anyone into this tightly knit community (laughs) of fantasy stalwarts you have to obtain a certain level of familiarity and comfort with our tropes. Well, I feel like I've been in training for this for quite some time and I'm not sure that the page one Gripped me. I, I question your credentials. <laughs> yes, it's quite some time. <laughs> I'm going I'm to need to see a, a laminated ID, please. Let's count up the episodes. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's a good point. L- let me count the years. <laughs> Keith? I now have the familiarity to fantasy, but I don't think I yet have the comfort. So on that front, this one was kind of as expected for me. You sort of routinely get this opening passage that is dramatic and casts you directly into the world and then the subsequent part of the book slows it down and introduces you to all the characters in a much more traditional sense. So whilst I wasn't digging this, I expected it and I was willing to give it a bit of time to build its uh, world and characters. Laurie, how about yourself? I'm surprised this kind of intro didn't hark you back to one of your favourite films of all time, Keith. (laughs) A little bit, it did. I assume you're talking Willow there. Yeah, I certainly felt like there was something of a Laura Dannon in those opening paragraphs, the baby being rescued and sent off down the river, but slightly different. Oh, that sounds like Moses. Mm, A bit better than Moses, I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Despite being written by George Lucas. (laughs) Uh, Was it written by George? I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. The Bible? What are you talking about? (laughs) I think he's talking about Willow. (laughs) I I was looking forward to the inevitable time jump that would whisk us to the young baby's adult form instead. So I'm kind of interested at this point, but maybe I'm just a fantasy stalwart. 
I should say that I was certainly interested as well, but I was just worried because I have been burnt thinking that I was reaching into a sack of golden treasures <laughs> and pulling out an old gumboot with a hole in the sole instead. Or so, a crippled hand, as the case may be. <laughs> Can I just play devil's advocate for a moment, Pat? I think it'd be quite easy for somebody to sneak up on a group of people that are looking at a dead woman and a dead baby. I don't know. It says that he grabs the man by his arm and pushes his hand down and then steps into the circle of firelight. Well, I just like I don't see how you can grab someone who is standing in the circle of firelight without being somewhat in the circle of firelight yourself already. It's a minor quibble, which I say about all of my quibbles. <laughs> but I, I feel it valid despite your advocacy. For Satan. It sounds like something I would take issue with. Mm. I, I recant it. <laughs> I knew that would do I was the trick. Say, what, petty? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bree, what's in store for this baby? Well, when we next skip ahead, we get. How is Babby formed? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. What? I just thought we were asking Babby questions. <laughs> Uh, it was baby formed. Classic. <laughs> Sorry, go on, Brie. So we meet Sabriel, who is by this stage a final year high school student at a prestigious boarding school where she receives notice that her father has gone missing and is presumed dead. She obviously does what any high school student would do in this situation when they're the protagonist of a young adult fiction novel. She gathers her wits and heads north to the neighbouring kingdom to find out what's happened. Her journey takes her across the wall, which separates the Old Kingdom from Elselstier, across rivers to the home where her family has always lived, and across seas to the city where her father was suspected to be. She is eventually accompanied by Mogget the Cat and Touchstone, the attractive male companion, as she battles the evil which has imprisoned her father and which threatens to upset the balance of the world, which is one layer of the synopsis. The second layer is that she's basically a kick-ass magical necromancer battling zombies and a variety of dead spirits both in this world and the netherworld. She wields a sword imbued with powerful charter magic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Touchwood is the helpful charter mage and fancy swordsman who was actually trapped is, for two... Is that a, uh, was that a, like a Freudian slip there? Marge. T- Touchwood. <laughs> oh. <laughs> What's his name? Referring to his intimately described wooden penis. <laughs> yes. So, yes, good point. Touchstone. Mm. Touchstone is the helpful charter marge and fancy swordsman that was actually trapped for 200 years as the figurehead of a boat. And she's also accompanied by the somewhat sardonic cat companion, who's actually a form of slightly dangerous free magic sworn to serve the line of death magicians known as Herporson, of which Sabriel is the latest incarnation. Thus, this is a zombie book. <laughs> Can I just skip back a sec, Brie, before we chip in with anything that we might think need to be added to the I plot? I knew you'd hate my synopsis, Laurie. No, no, no. I just want to ask you a question. And then it uh, harks back to your credentials. <laughs> <laughs> I needed credentials. I'm pretty sure when you first spoke to me about this, you said, well, you know, you're a girl who likes books and we need a female voice. No, I mean your fantasy credentials that that you were just claiming to have. What is Touchstone? What did you say? He's a charter what? Charter Marge. That's what they actually call him, isn't it? Is that that like fromage? (laughs) He's, He's a mage. (laughs) <laughs> no, the word means 
Oh, okay. So I'm well, we're gonna get the it. French version. <laughs> well, I bet you the origins. Hang on, I've got to Google that. All right. Origins of. If you want to get a tea, cup of coffee <laughs> while you listen, guys, just. Uh... Uh, yeah. <sighs> origins aside, it's it's mage. It's not mage. It's it totally mage. mage. Whatever. When you start playing D and D with us, we'll. Uh... Oh God! Ah. Oh. <laughs> the only thing I thought was missing from that synopsis was the fact that probably deliberately the current the school where she is just graduating is set in a twentieth century, like early twentieth century Earth kind of place, whereas the wall. Once you cross the wall, you're in the old kingdom, which is this place with the zombies and magic and creatures and. Stuff. I kind of had it more mid 20th. They talk about movies and stuff, I think, and they talk about flying and airplanes and electricity and yeah. that kind of stuff. I think at one stage yeah. they mentioned tanks and tanks being a new thing, so I thought that might be like World War One ish kind of era, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yep. It's not It's not ex- explicit. So somewhere atwixt World War One and Two, yeah? Yep. Uh, let's find out why you chose it, Laurie. Well, this was a reader recommendation uh, on our Facebook page. Shout out to Shrishti. Though I do confess it was a book that I had been noticing on the shelves for two decades, apparently. <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, I also had been noticing it on the shelves for two decades because the old cover was quite striking because it had the, the symbols. That I suppose now having read it, they're supposed to be the charter marks on the cover just against a black background, and they were really nice. I thought this was contemporary. <laughs> Oops. Until just now? Yes, seriously. Yeah, I realised it wasn't after I read it. When I was reading it, I thought the same. I thought, oh, this has the feel of a more contemporary book. I think the setting on the Earth-ish side really helps to hide the fact that it was written in 1995. It doesn't really matter because it's set in a previous time period. If they're all getting around talking about their Reebok pumps or something, then it might have been might have aged, but because it's set in that... Pumps are back, baby. Are they? Reebok, yeah. Reebok pumps? Mm-hmm. Oh, sweet. So I'd been noticing it on the shelves for Yonks and did intend to read it, but I, I'm not really sure why I never got around to it, but I didn't. And I'm certainly glad to have been given the nudge by one of our fans because I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was a pretty solid book for the most part and I was quite engaged with the mythos and Sabriel's role as a fledgling necromancer. The twist of having a necromancer that specialises in banishing the dead was to me at least a clever spin on the well-established character class that's usually the villain. The concept of the gates of death, which serve as ever-increasing steps towards the final death, I thought was novel and original, at least by my reckoning, and a step away from familiar tropes that won the book a lot of points for me. The two physical worlds, we've discussed this a little bit, an early 20th century vintage earth and the magical old kingdom, that separation via a guarded wall, which reminded me strongly of the wall in Stardust by Neil Gaiman, which was written four years later, uh, four years after this book, and, and the futility of the guard due to their ineffective weapons and the vague disbelief about the existence of magic in the old kingdom by the distant government on Earth. All of that kind of stuff, all of that background stuff, I thought really seasoned the book, giving it a bit of flavour. 
Some of the supporting characters, like Moggett and Touchstone, or Touchwood, depending on how fancy you think he is. <laughs> <laughs> they had enough history and enough internal conflict to make them interesting. The villains were just creepy enough, just relentless enough, and the ruined world was just begging for exploration and, hopefully, eventual restoration. Sabriel's journey between the physical realms, the three of them, Death, Ancelsdier, and Earth, was thematically matched by her growing acceptance of her responsibilities, that development of self-belief and final acceptance and letting go of her father. Throughout the book, she continually feels like a weight of the generations of the abhorsons upon her shoulder, and she fears that she's undertrained and incapable, but by the end of the book, of course, her cleverness, her bravery, and again, that self-belief... She proved to herself that she's more than just the last of the line. It wasn't a perfect book, and I'm sure the other three will tell you this at length. My main problem was that... Excuse me? (laughs) Well, come on, I'm going to wait then and see if you tell me it's a perfect book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I may do it, but I will do it with the soul of brevity. Oh, okay. (laughs) My main problem was that despite enjoying that journey of Sabriel and her character development, I would have liked a little bit more of a sense of Sabriel as a person. I understood her fears and her history and had glimpses of her personality, but the, I guess the urgency and the danger of her quest didn't really leave room for, a full, for the full depth of character building that I would have liked, but it wasn't a deal breaker. Lastly, it's part of a series of books. I think they're up to five now or getting close to it. But I thought this first book tied itself up pretty neatly, so listeners who don't have the stamina for a full run of books can dip in and walk away without some dreadful cliffhanger. And I know that's been a problem in the past. That was good. I enjoyed it. I loved the strong female lead. I loved that it was homegrown. Go Aussie! Yeah, I was quite happy with it. Thanks for the recommendation, Shrishti. Bree, over to you. You and I have some similar thoughts, I think, on Sabriel and her character. I thought she was determined, incredibly resilient, but I really liked how they introduced, like you were talking about, some of that more. She is still fallible. She's still learning. She's still growing. She was prepared for her new role, I guess, to a point by her formal education. She did take some magic classes at this prestigious girls' school and by her father over the years who wasn't very physically present, but he did pop in and out of her world as a, what, a flame or something like that. But I also liked that it wasn't just that it was she had to trust herself and it was her self-bravery. I also thought that it was good that she sought help. So she recognised that she couldn't do it all on her own, that she needed Moggett's assistance, she needed Touchwood, ha, ha, ha. She also needed Captain Horace, the colonel, whatever his name was, those sorts of people along the way. The supporting cast was actually really strong in this. And the characterisation of the supporting cast was fantastic. The characters like Moggett were so well-painted. When they eventually kicked in for me, right, so mm. this is where I had a couple of problems, which was that for 40% of the book it was just this world-building, and I don't know whether that's common across all fantasy, but 40% of the book for me is what it took to get into a rhythm, and it was actually about 40% in that she met or released Touchstone from his wooden tomb, I guess, in some ways, as the figurehead of a of an abandoned ship. 
I found all of those concepts quite confusing, all of the charter marks and the wall and the imagery of charter marks flowing over the wall and on the sword and, you know, charter stones being broken and death and gates and water and all of this stuff was shoved into this 40% of the book, which is a lot of concepts for me coming in reasonably cold because I still call them charter marge and it took too long. It's dense. It's like, it's in a way, it's like how The Bachelor now introduces 30 women in the first episode. It's very much like The Bachelor. Which is too many women. And you're like, how am I meant to get to know all these women? Yeah. And so, I, yeah. I agree with you about once those characters started to get introduced, right? So, Moggett was a this sassy little cat with comebacks galore. And you just, and his personality was just fantastic. And he became this really fearsome version of magic when he was released from his collar, I guess, so to speak at one point. He's not just a cat. He's a very powerful demon that's been trapped by a magical collar. Yeah. Mm. And because there are so few primary and secondary characters in this, they have the time to develop those things. But there's only a couple of them, right? And I finally get interaction between people when you've got Sabriel finally coming into contact with Touchstone. And that's where I finally started getting interesting because you can actually see them bouncing off each other a bit and you can see this kind of growing mutual understanding. And that for me is where And I guess this is like in life. That's for me is where the interesting stuff happens. I'm a very people-oriented person. That for me is where stuff gets good. People are cool. Thanks, Keith. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what that means, but it's funny. Because he loves the characters. Yeah. (laughs) I got it. The other thing is... I just kept thinking, I'm not surprised that this isn't being turned into a movie. So I did a bit of a Google around and had a look and, you know, they keep saying that Sabriel, they're in talks to develop into something. But how would you explain all of these concepts like succinctly enough for it to be a decent movie, let alone how would you explain all of that? How would you deliver this so that it's not just an incredibly freaky zombie movie or is it just that now The Walking Dead's been done, you don't need this? Like it's... They're not just mindless zombies though. Like the the demon that pursues her for most of the book is... A big body of clay and human blood moulded and infused with dead spirits. (laughs) Sure. So there's a bit of animation there, but it's not a mindless zombie that's just walking slowly across the earth in in her direction. It's... Mm. It's a crafty creature that leads lesser creatures in the pursuit of her. And, for example, he gets them to construct a bridge of grave dirt across a waterfall because they can't... That's with normal people that have just been, like, Yeah, but that's because they can't go near the water. Mm. So it's, it's not just dumb old zombies or even just mindless creatures. They're actually crafty and evil. I thought the element of their demise too was also quite original in that if you're going to compare it to the zombie genre which is traditionally quite hack and slash headshot double tap kind of business whereas this was uh, Sabriel sort of stepping into the realm of death and she has these bells which she uses to cast enchantments and push evil spirits back through the gates of death into lower levels from which they try to emerge. And so it it has a far more kind of mystical tone to it, I think, than the traditional 
blood, guts, gore of a straight up zombie. You're right. You're right. It's not just zombies. It's zombies and vampires kind of all rolled up together <laughs> because they don't go out in the middle of the day when it's sunny, right? So, oh, I mean, there's that, that element of law, but uh, I mean the the kind of stuff that the the engagement, the interaction between the humans and the dead is quite different to that murderizing that generally plagues these kinds of stories. Yeah, it's much closer to The Song of Fire and Ice as opposed to something like 28 Days Later or that zombie thing. Mm. They are zombies, though. They are the dead. Yeah, they're reanimated dead. Mm. But they have some guile about them, even the lesser ones. Yeah, they're they're more sort of like demonic spirits animating the dead as opposed to the slavering zombies of The Walking Dead. Speaking of the bells that Sabriel uses, I, I liked how the author gave the bells themselves a bit of spirit, like some of the bells try and ring themselves and she has to fight a little bit to control them and, and they can have very negative outcomes if she doesn't control them. All of the magic was that kind of unbridled force, wasn't it? You, you can't quite master it. It's not necessarily there at your service. It's a bucking horse that you have to bring to bear and have to rein into your own will to get it to do what you want it to do. Mm. Yeah, that was and nice. Because she was a fledgling mage, it was something she battled with throughout the book. You could see her becoming stronger. It has some Wheel of Time echoes in that way. Mm. I'm not going to read any more in this series, though. Like, it's just not my thing. Even now that the world is already all set up for you, so you can just jump Absol- straight into yeah, the even. Scene? Even now that the world's already set up for me. I found the concept of death and gates incredibly confusing. And I did sort of start to talk to you about this earlier this week, Laurie, about what is it about fantasy that I find not distasteful because I've obviously read some that I've enjoyed, but what is it that I don't like about it? And I think it's about the relationships. So it's about how people interact with one another. That's the kind of stuff that I like to read about and maybe my imagination just isn't big enough. You know, it's. I was reading online somewhere that fantasy is about really being able to put yourself into something completely different and it really sort of fosters that sort of creative side of your brain. And, yeah, I just prefer a little bit more realism, I think. I can see how that ties back into your argument, though, because it is something so foreign, Especially even this one to me, to me, I thought was a novel concept, something that I hadn't really read too much of before in terms of the gates of death and pushing the dead back through the levels of those gates into the final death. That stuff is new, right? So you have to spend a lot of time developing that world and maybe that has an impact on how much you can develop characters and relationships early in a book. Maybe that's why they end up being trilogies. Well, I guess there's also the fact that people like to write a lot of books, so they sell a lot of books. But, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but if you have to... You're saying I could have three times the money. <laughs> but if you have to create a world, then there's no other way. Like, if it's a, a deep world full of new lore, then you have to do that slowly. And that might be at the expense in the first book or in the first half of the first book or the first quarter of the first book developing really good characters. And some authors might do it better than others. Mm. You know, we do sing the praises of Robin Hobb on a regular basis. You, you sing the praises, not we. Yeah. Didn't you love it? Did she write Fitz? 
Yes. <laughs> yes, she wrote the Farsia trilogy. Your credentials have just been destroyed. This has set you back months. So, so the listeners are leaving in droves. I can see them walking out the back of the room. They're shaking their heads. I think one of them's urinating in the corner. You love the Fitz books, yes? Yeah, but how did I feel about live ship traders? So, you know, they're very hit and miss. Yeah, yeah, true, true. So some authors do it better, and, and maybe this is a case where the world building took precedence for the first half of the book, and maybe there'll be less of that in books going forward and more towards the character element. I don't know. The part that I disliked about the Farsea trilogy, and we talked about this as well, is that magical road thing. And the part that I Spoilers. disliked in the Life Ship Traders, which is another Robin Hobb thing, is the the island and the pathway of magic and whatever the hell. Like that stuff just to me is far too removed and too abstract for me to really get stuck into it. Yeah, I guess for people like me and perhaps Pat. With incredible imaginations, there you go, I'll pump up your sails yourself. No, <laughs> I'm just going to say I'd like to be as far removed from the mundane as possible most of the time. <laughs> This, to me, takes too much of a leap. What about you, Keith? So when I thought about this book beforehand, I had three questions in mind. They were, does it transcend the genre? Does it differentiate itself from coming-of-age fantasy? And does and what happens to the baby? <laughs> <laughs> that was after I started reading it. And does it have transparent plot devices? I'll come back to those a bit later. It was a bit too high fantasy for my liking, which... Is a strange Oh, is that the official term, high fantasy? I wouldn't call this high fantasy. No, it's definitely not high fantasy. What? There's no really? elves, damn it. <laughs> well, was it, okay, well, it was a bit too fantasy for my liking, perhaps. What sort of fantasy is it then? Well, given the world... I don't know. It still has the magic elements and things, but... Mid-fantasy? It doesn't... <laughs> Yeah, so middle, middle fantasy. (laughs) To me, this feels very high. Yeah, that's what I felt as well. I mean, there's the Ancel Stier, of course, but that didn't really feature it that prominently. I would have enjoyed it a lot more, I think, if there was a bit of a, a more gradual introduction to the world and the evils of the world particularly if there was more of a grounding in Encelstier, which it rushed through that part, and it didn't feel like Sabriel had a very strong connection to Encelstier and the people of that world, because it was only at the end where her teacher and some of her school friends were helping her out. Apart from that, they were really just ancillary characters. The links to 20th century England, I didn't find them strong enough, and that harks back to the importance of Encelstier in the tale, and I don't think that was strong enough for me, because I like when you have a better connection with our world, it helps me relate. <laughs> and no magic and uh, no monsters. No, I like the magic and the and monsters. And a tax man. If you're going to have these... T- and a little no. red-headed girl. <laughs> Listen, that's not what he's saying. If you're going to have these two distinct worlds, I like if they balance out nicely and you get more of a feeling that they're both of importance, which didn't come through in this to me. Sabriel was always in Ancelstier, but of the Old Kingdom. And, yeah, I thought she could have been had a better foundation in Ancelstier because that's where she spent the majority of her eighteen first 18 years. I actually felt like Ancelstier was a little bit redundant for the vast majority of the book, and I wouldn't have been unhappy if Ancelstier had been eliminated altogether, really. In a way, I would feel the same. It was there in a sort of tantalising way for me because it wasn't fleshed out enough to be worthwhile. 
Yeah, it's it's sort of just. Uh, I used to ride a bus, but now I kill zombies. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't really care. It doesn't matter. We can we can really let the bus go at this point, can't we? Because the zombies are kind of the the focus. Definitely, and I think the point of having it there would have been to make it a bit more relatable, and I just don't think it achieved that. I really like the idea of focusing on a personal story within a bigger event. This, like many fantasies, tries to do both at once. The personal story grows to become the event that threatens the world, and that can be super effective in things like Harry Potter, but in this, it wasn't that effective. The pacing, I thought, was a little slow. I know that journeys like this are staples of fantasy, and I suppose they did flesh this out with not just several trials that called on Sabriel and her acquaintances, but also the budding romance between Sabriel and Touchstone. But still, it was just too wordy, those descriptions, and everything seemed to drag on, and then the action would come and it would blow by. The romance side of things, it was like an intense holiday fling. I can liken it to Katniss and Peter. Did you guys think of it that way? Because you've had Sabriel, who's been cooped up, if you like, in this girls' school for all this time, and Touchstone, who's been frozen in a ship's figurehead. It's only natural that once they she's She's checking out his ding-ding-dong <laughs> from the get-go, <laughs> yeah. so there's bound to be some romance fostered. Yeah. yeah, that was interesting, that. I don't know, it seems like Garth Nix has a bit of a tendency to describe things in a very intricate way, and I don't know whether it was his intention there for it to be odd and jarring, that moment where he describes... I agree, that was off. That was off-putting. It was not quite right, was it? I thought it was an interesting point. It, it, it struck me that because I was reading that and I thought, mm, this is a bit odd and jarring. This is unusual that we're getting quite a intricate description of this man's naked form and his weenus and everything. <laughs> And I wouldn't necessarily be quite so jarred if we were talking about the uh, bow wenches' lusty bosoms or something like that, which is probably far more commonplace in fantasy writing and everything. It kind of goes to show a little bit, I think, the double standard of description of men in a sexual light. But maybe that's just me. I think I'd be jarred on both. Drilling down mm. to the level where it's like she had one inverted nipple. Is that what this <laughs> well, was? I don't know. Maybe. I was thinking about it at a lower level than, than what we had here. It sounds like I didn't like this book very much, but with all that water under the bridge, I still did enjoy multiple aspects of the book, and it was far from a complete write-off. The idea of the bells in particular was really interesting. The development of Sabriel into the abortion was well-crafted. The dry wit of Moggett gave it a bit of balance and life, and Kerrigal was a really good antagonist. He was properly evil, and you did get that foreboding sense coming through him, and the idea that there was a fate worse than death was one that continually featured in the book, and I liked that. It was good. I don't think it transcended the genre. There is some foundation there that could have achieved that, but I think he was basically targeting the fantasy stalwart audience with this. So the fact that it didn't transcend the genre isn't a failing of the book, but it was a little bit of a failing of my enjoyment of it. Did it differentiate itself from other coming-of-age fantasy? At its core, it was pretty faithful to the standard coming-of-age structure, but I do think there was enough variation in there to flip this at least somewhat away from the status quo. And that was mainly around Sabriel, who was a strong, self-assured young woman. She's a great character, and I liked her a lot. Was it littered with transparent plot devices? Yep, there were segments of the book where I was taken out of the moment by plot devices clearly designed to advance the story or Sabriel's character. I think this comes back to the problems I had with the pacing of the story, because there were several moments where I was pulled out of the world, and I know Pat was in the opening pages. 
So I don't know whether that is something that Pat felt throughout the book. I guess we'll find out very shortly. I'll sum it up. There was a lot to like about this book, and it's easy to see how someone right into high fantasy, mid-fantasy, whatever you want to call it, fantasy, could adore it. Low fantasy is, is more real-world sort of based or an alternative to real-world based fantasy. And so this still falls technically into the high fantasy kind of basket i guess but it doesn't it's not it doesn't really feel very high fantasy Mm. it's a tough one to define as i was saying someone right into fantasy could really adore this but i didn't pat what did you think i told laurie i was going to be brief so i'll be super brief and just say i really 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 liked it the concerns that i had at the get-go were pretty much erased as we went through i thought it was a rollicking good time the characters were fantastic i really like sabriel i like mogget I like Touchstone, Touchwood, <laughs> and it was just an exciting, interesting read, despite maybe being flawed in a number of ways. Sure, it did adhere to perhaps that formulaic hero's journey thing a little bit, but I completely forgave it that. The writing may have at times been a little bit clunky, but not consistently. My fears weren't realised from reading that first page. I liked the intense world building. I liked the intense descriptiveness of the writing, and that's what really drove it for me. I was less interested in the conflict with the dead and everything as an overarching plot, but just loved the the minutiae of it all. I loved the little individual conflicts. I loved the dead building a, a bridge of grave dirt over a waterfall to capture... Sabriel, I I loved flying the paper wing. I, I, I liked the originality of all those things. I liked the the gates and the, the whole death system. I I something I think it may be when you ascend to a higher level of being a fantasy stalwart, you start to think about magic systems and and what I'm I, I totally need to do this is going to be a game we're going to have to play where I'm going to have to get you to match up magic systems with their respective series from which they're drawn. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. There's going to be Sanderson, there's going to be Weeks. There's going to be Rothfuss, there's going to be some Nicks, there's going to be some Hob. It's it's all going to be in there. There's going to be it's going to be Feist. the game show of the century. <laughs> but can't wait. <laughs> having said that, the other two are like. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> what? I, I'm just tapping out over here. <laughs> I, I'm obviously raving about it, but I just enjoyed it. I thought it was just great fun. The whole thing was great fun. Well, I'm shocked and pleased. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's get to it then. Scoring with Keith. Before I get into scoring. Once more, I'd like to dip my toe in the content field pool that is Yahoo Answers. Ooh. Yahoo Answers user asked, Anyone know a book like Sabriel by Garth Nix? I need a great novel and haven't found one yet. Does anyone know anything similar to Sabriel that's out or coming out? Or some fantasy novels that have the same originality as Garth Nix? Thanks. Do you guys have any suggestions to offer for Yahoo Answers user unnamed? I just read the other day and it's maybe hinging more on the, the zombie side of things than the fantasy side of things. But before I read Sabriel, I read The Girl with All the Gifts by someone, Carey, and it was absolutely phenomenal. It w- was, again, a really creative take on the genre. This one, more of the straight-up zombie flick in the 28 Days Later kind of vein, but with a bit of a twist 
and I won't I won't go into it and spoil it for anyone, but I think it's it's really worth reading. It has a, a wonderful female protagonist again, and really a number of really strong female characters. So if that's an element of Sabriel that you enjoy and you like a bit of the flesh eating villain type stuff, then the girl with all the gifts freaking phenomenal. I like mm. it. Laurie, you should have something to offer, perhaps? Yeah, I'll stick with fantasy. Obviously, my go-to recommendation for fantasy books is Robin Hobb's The Farseer Trilogy. That's the Fitz books we were talking about, Fitz being the lead character uh, we were talking about before. That is just absolutely stellar, like probably my favourite books of all time. In terms of other fantasy, if you haven't recommended it, I would recommend Ursula Le Guin's The Wizard of Earthsea, a fantastic book, and there's a few follow-up books. Yeah, she's fantasy royalty. Mm, absolutely. And if you want an inventive magical system, Patrick Rothfuss's Name of the Wind. Which I cannot recommend because it's not finished yet and won't be for the foreseeable future. <laughs> uh, well. Two more. Brent Weeks has got a series called the Night Angel Trilogy, I think it's called, and that's excellent. It's got an interesting system. And there's another set of books that are a bit controversial in terms of their quality, but I thought were really good. The Mistborn series by Brandon Sanderson. That's probably a good place to start with those those recommendations, I'd say. <laughs> that will keep you reading for about the next three years. Yeah, there's a few trilogies in there, so <laughs> yeah, no. Yep. Maybe, Thanks, uh, guys. The Wizard, of, the Wizard of Earthsea. I have nothing to add to this segment. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect so. Brief. <laughs> Thanks for those really brief answers, guys. That was great. Hey, <laughs> weren't you recommending some sci-fi or fantasy to me the other day? It's sitting on your bookshelf. And not only that, it's zombies and vampires and stuff too. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you love them? I really enjoyed them and smashed it, yes. What were they called? Uh, the first one's called The Passage. I can't remember the others. It's like City of Mirrors and something else. And they're, they're really long books as well, aren't they? Really long books, yes. All right. So, Christopher, someone? I like it how blasé you're being about it. Like, oh, it's zombies and vampires, I guess. Like, whatever. <laughs> and I love them, <laughs> even though they were super thick. But whatever. They're okay. <laughs> The passage or it's something. About, it's because it's it's character focused and it's about the interactions between people. You see you see the story from different people's perspectives, which for me is really interesting way of building the plot over time. It lost me a bit in the middle, but I read the third one anyway. <laughs> this has gone a lot longer than I expected, so I'm just going to bring us back to the question. Anyone know a book like Sabriel by Garth Nix? And I'll now reveal the... Yahoo Answers winning answer, which comes from Jay. Is it the sequel to Sabriel? Yeah, it comes from Garth Nix by L'Oreal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Thunderstealers, try the second book in the series, L'Oreal, or the third book, Abhorson. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't provide any guidance on the order to read them in, so I sense impending disaster. <laughs> oh, no. That's one thing that was really odd about our reading, and I was reading an e-book, and at the very end of book one, which is Sabriel, there was a preview for book five. I'm like, come on. <laughs> I, I grabbed the hard copy and at the end of mine was a preview for book two. So uh-huh. more respect shown to the <laughs> hard copy readers. 
I think book five, as I mentioned before, doesn't carry on with a lot of the characters. So maybe that's why they could include it because it's not spoiling anything that happens in books two and three. Mm, Don't care. Don't want to know until the other books have been read. Scoring with me. Sabriel is equipped with seven bells, but that would completely throw out our scoring system. So I've wedged them in there anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. I can't remember what the names of any of the bells mean. That was an issue I had throughout the book. So hopefully you're going to anchor it with some numbers as well. So was this book one, Astarael, and that's the Weeper? I'd rather be cast deep into metaphorical death than continue to read this. Was it 1.5? Mosrael, that's the waker. This might bring others to life, but it sapped me of my will to live. Was it 2? Runner, the sleeper. I was kind of interested, but it kept bringing me to sleep. Was it 2.5? Colette, wonder. All the parts were there, but it's been done before, much better. Probably by Anita Ward. Was it 3? Kybeth, that's the walker. This book took me on a journey that I didn't really know that I wanted to go on. Was it 3.5? Belgar, the thinker. Tricksome but self-assured and had my brain ticking over. Was it 4? Saraneth, the binder. I'm not sure exactly why, but I really liked this book. Or was it 5? Dyrim, the speaker. Was there no 4.5? There was no (laughs) 4.5. You can't have an uneven scale. What is this? Listen, the very existence oh. of this point five system is ruining my spreadsheet. <laughs> I'm finding it fascinating that Keith is the one mucking up with the system. Keith, you're usually trying to hold us to task for all of this stuff. I am, and I, it's because I like to balance my scores against each one. And you'll notice that I haven't extended the scale below one or above five, so it still keeps within our scoring system because there was half points getting awarded all but over the place. But you're happy to have uneven intervals, I am. monster. I am. If you really must, you can still go halfway between with no actual bell. I'll be disappointed in you, but you can still do it. Or was it five, Dyram, the speaker? This book was like music to my ears. The sweet sound rang true and spoke directly to me in all the ways I love. Who wants to go first? I will. It's 2.5 for me. I'm actually quite grateful that you're sticking some little half scores in there because I didn't want to just say that it was okay. Didn't necessarily really enjoy it either. It took too long to get going. So that's a Colette. Who wants Mm. to ring in next? I will say that in execution, I think it was probably about a four for me, but just for sheer enjoyment and getting swept up in it and really freaking loving the heady mix of it all. I'm going to give it a five. I really dug it. Nice. Laurie. Because that's all too confusing, I'm just going to sing my answer. Oh, Sabriel, your charter symbol burning bright. Oh, Sabriel, you stop the dead ones rise. Oh, my sweet Abba Sin. With bells that sing a Please don't. <laughs> Come on, let him finish. Gabriel, <laughs> you get five stars, such a win. There we go. <laughs> so that's two tyrants. Well done. I can't really follow that up. So I'm just going to say. <laughs> do you wish you'd gone before that? Oh, I definitely do. We should have ended on that note. <laughs> that's because all the listeners have just tuned out. <laughs> <laughs> no one will know the score. No one will hear this. For me, it's Kybeth. It took me on a journey that I didn't really know I wanted to go on. 
what what number That's is that? Three. I told you I can't remember <laughs> the bell names. Yeah, if if anyone's really familiar with the bells, they'll appreciate my scoring system. I think it was pretty true to them. And none of you commented on it, but the two point five was Colette. Anyone have any memories of that one? This reveal is <laughs> not, not working. Out. <laughs> uh, I'm confused. Shall I sing this song again? You should Google Colette and Bell. <laughs> And you'll have the answer. Oh, okay. I'm sure. That... <gasps> Come on and ring my bell. Is that Colette ring and Ring my bells? bell. Oh, my It totally God. is. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting worse, isn't it? <laughs> Okay, I have to edit this, so. Musical episode. <laughs> That's kind of what I was leading to with my comments, that if you really like fantasy, you'll probably really like this book. But if you don't really like fantasy, then you're not going to like it, and this isn't the one that I would recommend to you to read. No, it's a very... If you're just starting out. Exactly, yeah. If you're starting out and you've gotten into fantasy already, which Brie pretended she had but revealed her true colours tonight, then this might be the book for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks all, and thank you as ever to our listeners. This episode is proof that we love hearing from you on Twitter and Facebook, so feel free to send us a message with your thoughts and suggestions. Next episode, Keith gets another shot at five stars from that bastard Laurie, trotting out Patrick Ness's A Monster Calls. Will it be a corker, or will the tradition hold? (laughs) Tune in and find out in the next exciting episode of Seeking Tumnus. Until then, if evil threatens, then remember that nothing is scarier than seeking Tumnus hosts singing. So grab your bells and ring a ling a ling a ding dong ding. Ring a ling a ling a ding dong ding. Ring a ling a ling a ding dong ding. Ring a ling a ling a ding dong ding. And keep reading. I'm still seeking Hello and welcome to Batch Chat, Australia's premier bachelor podcast. I'm taking your calls today. Uh, caller, what do you think of Bachelor this season? Yeah, man, I'm thinking that the ladies are just there because Nick's got their muscles. Muscles. Yep, muscles. Uh, no, I'm going to take another yeah, call. Uh, wait, are you... Caller, do you have any thoughts about the uh, Corinne situation, villain of the season? Corinne, uh, having some difficulties with Taylor at the moment, but what's going to happen? Who's going? Who's staying? I'd really like to hear your thoughts. Look, I don't actually know anything about, uh, you know, the whole Corinne-Taylor situation, but I had found a recipe online for Corinne's nanny's cheesy pasta. Okay, it's... Sounds delicious, I guess. It's absolutely revolting. I don't know what you're talking about, but I've been rubbing it on my body. Of course you have, caller. Okay, we're going to take another caller now. Uh, what are you thinking of the Corinne uh, Taylor situation? Rubbing it all over my body, all the creases. Can the creases, you please just... No, no, it's... no. Okay, I think we have a new caller on the line. Caller... Tell me, how are you feeling about Nick? Will you accept this, Rose? I am absolutely not going to accept that, Rose. Let's take one more call. Caller, are you a crazy person? Yeah, I got disconnected, bro. What I like to say is, 20 minutes in the gym, I'll get them muscles. 
cool. You could spend 20 years in the gym and you wouldn't have their muscles. Mus- muscles. Mus- you, would, you know, I'm going to end the show there today. Colas, thank you for your insightful comments on this season of The Bachelor. I look forward to watching next episode with you. We'll see where the Corinne drama goes. Taylor's interrupted her romantic dinner with Nick. Who knows what's going to happen next? Thanks for listening to Batch Chat. Been waiting for like applause. Like, yes, Keith. Great recommendation. <laughs> Thank you, sir.